Assalamu alaikum guys and welcome back to another episode of The Word Affairs. So I hope you're all having an absolutely amazing week. Um, I've had a very hectic week. Um, it's been quite crazy but alhamdulillah we are still here. I feel like I'm exhausted and the weekend is simply not long enough. Like I don't even know where it's gone to begin with. Um, because I'm obviously recording this on Sunday so it will be up inshallah once I've actually recorded it and that is very late as well it's like 6 p.m right now and normally we like release for 2 p.m so that just goes to show you um but I hope you all enjoyed last week's episode um I think it was quite good alhamdulillah and I have had some good feedback about it um so yeah trust you know we're just just trying to be um consistent that's that's what we're trying to do but um inshallah i hope it just gets easier so this week i thought that i would do a what i believe to be a very important episode um but something that i don't really think many of us think about um because it's something related to the future and it's something that i don't think I think to be fair with a lot of us we may we may not be in that position right now to be thinking about it so I thought you know what I actually came across this quite a fair bit of time ago I want to say it was like at least two months ago I had considered sitting down to do this episode but then I don't know why I just didn't feel ready to do it or um not that there's anything like big or amazing or anything like that it was just like I was like it's a really really chunky episode and I think that there's a lot that goes into it and then I also got some um suggestions and some um basically uh, responses from you guys um and I never managed to basically film an episode about it so I am incorporating them in today's episode and then as usual we will be going through the reddit threads at the end so I think we should just get straight into it really um so this week I wanted to talk about salah but specifically for children and the reason why I said I feel like we don't really talk about it, so we don't really, you know, sit down and think about it rather, is because, I mean, I'm 22, so obviously I am fairly young, alhamdulillah, and, you know, I'm not married or anything like that, I don't have children, Um, and I know that a lot of us of a similar age gap, we don't really have children now either, which is a very big change, obviously, from the previous generation where, you know, a lot of our parents and a lot of that generation that got married probably had their first or even second child by now and it's a massive massive change and then you know for for a few people in this generation you know we've got some individuals who possibly could have children at a much later age in their 30s to 40s gap or you know they'd consider having children then um and so that's it's not that's not really what this you know episode's about I guess but I I guess that's what I was trying to say when I said that I think I guess a lot of us haven't really thought about this type of thing because we're not been you know we've we've not been put into that position to think about it per se so um the reason why I kind of wanted to talk about this was because I think in general you know in in obviously like the society we live in as well like um and specifically like for the Muslims as well like you know you're always on this constant kind of like journey to basically improve your deen or improve your relationship with Allah and that you know the biggest way that that is formed is through your prayers um, and your five daily prayers and I think growing up you don't quite realize just how important your salah is you know you're told that it's an obligation it's a duty it's a fard but realistically speaking we don't really know just how much it will impact not just the rest of our life but rather the afterlife rather the the moment after death when you are in your grave and 
you know, that is something that for a little child, it may be hard to kind of like process. But also, I don't personally believe that that is the way you should approach that conversation with a child anyway. Now, a lot of people may have mixed reviews about this and they may have different things to say regarding this. But I really want to touch on this because I remember when I was kind of like getting to grips with my own Dean and I was, you know, a few years ago now, alhamdulillah, um, you know, getting closer to my religion. I was getting close to Islam. I was getting close to Allah and everything. And I remember like yesterday, um, I was in the kitchen and I was cooking and I was listening to a podcast by Yasmin Mujahid. And I do think I have spoke about this before on the podcast as well, but I will reiterate because it's just something that I feel like I, I took with me for the rest of the, you know of my life. And, and I realized just how amazing it was. So Yasmin Mujahid, I cannot remember for the life of me what the specific episode was called, but um, she was talking about the concept of how people kind of like perceive or portray that's a better word, I'd definitely say, portray Allah in the eyes of children and the and how that basically influences their relationship with Allah as they grow up. So first and foremost, I guess the best way to tackle this is to remember the names of Allah. The 99 names of Allah and the ones that are the most prominent, I would definitely say, and the most beautiful, in my opinion, are, you know, Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, you know, the most merciful, the most forgiving and, you know, the bestower of mercy and it is so important that when you are trying to make children understand about their deen you are trying to to make them understand Allah before anything else it is so important that you show them that Allah is the most merciful that you know they could ever have a relationship with nobody else will be as merciful as kind as forgiving as Allah and that is something that they need to understand and the first thing that a child would probably say is even more than you even more than like their mom or their dad and yes it's true even more than their mom and dad Allah loves us so much and he's so merciful and so forgiving this is the image and this is the message we need to be delivering to children but sadly I have seen this so much um and genuinely, I'm not going to say that it spans across just a certain community or a certain ethnicity, because obviously I do speak about that quite a bit as I am South Asian, I am Pakistani. But I do genuinely think that this is something that kind of like crops up in a lot of Muslim communities where the first interaction a child has regarding their deen with their parents, it's always like, this is haram. That's haram. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. It's haram. You know what's going to happen if you do this? You go to, you know, you go to hell. You go to Jahannam. Oh my God. You know what Allah's going to do to you? He's going to punish you. That's gunah. You can't do this. This is gunah. You can't do that. And it's like, okay, every single thing that you're telling that child, it's just reiterating and reinforcing the same thing. Punishment. Ban. 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 Punishment. Trouble. You know, fear. Guilt shame everything like that those are the types of connotations you are associating with this conversation and so slowly and this is what Yasmin Mujahid said in her own words she'd probably say it better than I am but you know obviously I'm, it was a long time ago since I listened to it and I am paraphrasing in a sense she said that you basically portray Allah to be the policeman and what you are doing is 
you represent a law to be the police officer who will catch you out if you ever do anything bad you know let's think about it for a second why does she use this metaphor or this you know whatever you want to call it but it is essentially a metaphor an analogy of comparing the concept of this type of you know um, authority to a police officer and the reason for that is because when you do something good or when you abide by the law or when you basically are a good citizen you don't see police officers commending you for it. You don't see police officers turning up to your house and be like, oh my God, you were so good that day. I saw you driving in the speed limit. I saw you stopping at the red light. I saw you giving way to your right on the roundabout. Like you're amazing and we just want to, you know, thank you and we want to tell you how good you are. No, that never, ever, ever has happened. And for the clarification, like if that has ever happened, please come someone let me know because I really doubt it. In actual fact, the concept of the police or the police officer thing is to catch you out when you've done something bad. It's to catch you out when you have fallen out of line. It's to catch you out when you have broken the law, when you have committed a crime, when you have done something to wrong someone else, or when you have just basically kind of like not been abiding by the community's system and being a good citizen when you've not been doing that. So the police officer, if anything, is there to keep you in line, to keep you in check, to punish you when things go wrong. And so the reason why she was saying this was because she said that when you put this image and you portray Allah like that in their heads and their minds, you're automatically kind of like relating it to something where they just look at Allah and think, oh yeah, he's like going to punish me when I do something wrong. Oh yeah, like I'm just bad. Everything I do is wrong. There's no sense of uh, commandment. There's no sense of, um, even if that's a word, there's no sense of basically commending them for their good actions. There's no sense of rewarding them for their good actions. It's just punish, punish, punish. So, that child then grows up to basically run away because think about it like are they going to want to turn around and they are they going to basically want to get closer to Allah when all that has been done for them is that Allah has been represented in their heads as the person or rather the um you know authority that will punish them when something goes wrong you're not going to want to spend time with Allah you're not going to want to spend you know moments to connect you're not going to want to have a good relationship you're not going to want to abide by the laws and the rules you know when you just think yeah he's just out to get me type of thing so what she was talking about was this really really powerful metaphor in my opinion where she talked about how when you start to tell your child from day one yeah you know you do this Allah's gonna punish you you do this you know it's haram you do this that's it you know you've got gonna like it's just not good you are not allowing your child to basically connect with Allah and let's be very very realistic here it is a sense of discipline and I understand that wholeheartedly but you know when you really sit down and think about it Islamically children are so innocent and they're so pure to the point where they genuinely are the most kind-hearted good souls on this earth so if anything is that not the type of language you would if you wanted to use that language and you wanted to use that type of perception would you not use that maybe perhaps with the old generation who perhaps or you know the teenage generation who maybe have lost their way a little bit and they're thinking that everything's fine everything's so lenient it's all cool and fine like that's if anything a way to reprimand them why would you start that off instantly with children with little children I just don't understand this and I think that is where all of us have gone wrong in a certain way where we're having to relearn our deen and we're having to focus on it and readapt because we were just told this that this that, and half of it let's be real was wrong half of that was just culture mixed in with your religion and that's what really really creates a harsh time so um and, and she said this and she said that if, if anything you really need to 
change this perception so what we see is when these children are getting older and they starting to hit their teens they don't care they don't care about their religion they don't care about their salah they don't care about anything like that because they've never ever been able to form a connection with Allah they're not going to turn up for their duties their duties meaning as in to pray their salah to maybe even fast to certain extents they're not going to turn up for that because they just think well what's the point if I do something wrong I'm just going to get punished there really is no point in me even trying and they just do not have a connection with Allah so if anything they then grow up and now it's just got worse that has been embedded in them it's been deeply rooted into their system and sometimes what might happen when they're into their teenage years or maybe even their late teens into their maybe like adulthood they're hitting their adulthood time or just late teens really something might crack something might happen to them in life where they just feel like they have to return to Allah something might happen they might get a call into Allah and next thing you know they're like oh wait this is so different from what I was taught and they don't see Allah as a policeman anymore but for them to have to reach that stage they had to basically unlearn so much they had to unlearn so much in this sense because this image that they had formed of Allah in their head it has to basically be deconstructed and broken down and the foundations have to be rebuilt for them to understand you know what actually Allah doesn't hate me Allah loves me Allah actually cares for me and Allah puts me through hardships and trials because he loves his people the most and he cares for us so much and he knows what's best for us And so what happens is slowly they start to build upon this relationship and they form a better relationship. And that is why you find so many people of our age, of the younger age, like, you know, um, middle teens, late teens, starting to reconnect with their deen. Now, there is a small minority where from the day they were born and essentially from the time when they were growing up into their childhood, they always had that connection. They always had that beautiful relationship and they always had a loving, caring family that showed them, hey, you know what? Allah isn't out here to punish you. Yes, he will do if you do really, really bad things, but always remember Allah's mercy outweighs everything else. And that is not me trying to tell you to be lenient. That is me trying to remind you that Allah is not the bad man here. Allah is not trying to catch you out. He's not trying to see when you're going to step out of line. That's not what we're doing here. If you make a mistake, it is okay, but you need to own up to it. You need to change your ways and you need to make sure you don't do it again and you need to repent and you need to make sure you stay far away from that, whatever it may be. So you see these different parallels to this situation and it is quite sad that a lot of us and a lot of like the people we're surrounded by as well, especially, have had to go through that. But I do definitely think it's a learning curve. Now, how does this basically connect? How does all of this connect to the concept of Salah? So what we often see is this big argument, this big debate of when should you start praying? And obviously I'm 22, you know, we're of that age. There's people listening to this who are younger. There's people listening to this who are older. And, you know, a really great, you know, um, variety of ages that we've, you know, built in this community but again relating back to children and the whole concept of this I think it's so important to touch on this because alhamdulillah we are at that stage now where we may not be children ourselves but very soon inshallah I hope and I pray for everybody we are blessed with children and it is so important to teach your children one day about their deen in a way that they will love their deen and nobody could basically break that connection for them because just look around you and look at the day of judgment and the signs that are surrounding us and all of that there's quite a fair bit I think it was yesterday 
day I came across a post where they were talking about the greenery in Saudi and the certain areas and how there was this picture that was taken from NASA and it showed um, that for the first time ever, you know, there was a lot of green land in that area. And if anything, a lot of people saw this as a positive for some reason, but that's actually not because it is a, literally a sign of the final hour because the Prophet Muhammad said the final hour will not reach us until the um, lands of like Saudi Arabia like, are basically fill, you know, full of meadows and rivers and, you know, valleys essentially because it's basically a sign of like, you know, yes to the modern current world that looks amazing. Oh my God, yeah, fertilization and growing crops, etc., and greenery and ecosystem. But you know, the thing is, the way that we have been told in Islam is this is not good for us because this shows that the last hour is so prevalent, is so near. So that is very scary when you sit down and think about it. Now, bearing that in mind, not in a way to scare you, but bearing that in mind, just remember that. For you one day yourself, you will also be questioned, of course, on your own actions, your own judgments and all of that. But you will also be questioned on the way you rose your chil- rose? Way you raised, that's the word I'm trying to think of, the way you raised your children. And how did you inter- you know, introduce them to the deen? How did you make them consistent with their deen? Did you teach your children to pray- praise Allah? Did you teach your boys to go to the mosque? Did you teach your daughters to cover and wear hijab? And I remember, the reason why I'm talking about this is because I think about two months ago or something, I was at Islamic classes and we were talking and we basically started the new unit which was um in in fiqh we were talking about um salah and we were going to basically learn the fiqh of salah and basically the do's and don'ts the dislikes the likes all of that type of stuff um and what is expected of you and the way that the uh, mufti basically started the class was obviously with the introduction and he talked about salah and it was so beautiful guys like genuinely i cannot explain to you it was a very big eye-opener we hear a lot of this type of stuff but if you take nothing away from it you've not really come out of it as a better person if that makes sense so this introduction realistically speaking had nothing to do with children because we obviously in the book that we've been given we have like the text and stuff and obviously he talks us through it he adds to it and all of that type stuff but on that specific text of that book there was nothing to do with children nowhere and he basically interpreted it and he spoke about it but then he spoke about it in the concept of teaching your children to pray and basically learning how to pray and the reason why this was the case was because he started with a hadith right and the hadith basically um talked about an interpretation regarding missing salah and it's so powerful and it's very scary when you sit down and think about it to be honest with you and so obviously as muslims we know that we have five obligatory prayers to be praying every single day we have Fajr, we have Zohar, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. And obviously they have units of their own and they are essentially Farad and you must pray them. Now, in terms of the question arising of, well, what happens if I miss a Salah? Now, this is into so many different categories, of course, but the way the Mufti interpreted this and basically he was talking about it was that there's a lot of hadith surrounding this and everything like that, but they were obviously, um, they were basically interpreted in different ways. So one hadith um, said that anyone who intentionally misses salah leaves, and this is shocking, but he basically leaves the believer out of salah. So what that means is that if you intentionally miss a salah, you think, okay, yeah, you know what? It's time for salah, but I'm not going to pray. Like I can't bother. I have to do wudu. Da, da, da. 
some scholars will go as far as to say you're out of the fold of Islam. Genuinely, some scholars say you miss one salah, you are out of the fold of Islam. Some say if you miss it regularly and you do not pray your salah, like some people don't pray salah at all, you are considered a kafir. Like, and that sounds very, very, very harsh. Genuinely, it does. But the reason why they say this is because salah is considered as the shield against sins. And the difference in a Muslim and a non-Muslim is the basic necessity of believing in one God, in one Allah, no one, you know, no associations with Allah. We worship Allah and nobody else. And that his final messenger is the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, And that we pray our five daily prayers regarding the five pillars of Islam as well. But that is absolutely necessary for us and i spoke about this i think it was last week when i talked about the concept of when you go into your grave that is the genuinely the question you will be asked after figuring out who is your lord and everything is did you pray your salah did you pray yes or no if you didn't let's go into it let's see and it will be dissected to the t like it's insane so another reason why the mufti said that this is so prominent it's so important to understand is because by you basically saying intentionally you know what i'm not going to pray this salah or rather i'm going to forget it or rather i'm you know i can't pray right now i'm too busy da, da, da. i'm going to pray it later and then you miss it whatever you're just basically lazy you didn't care about it you did not put it at the top of your list you did not prioritize it is because it is a way of rejecting the bounty of blessing and that is quite strong when you think about this the amount of reward and the amount of beauty and the blessings we get from salah is absolutely unreal and a lot of people don't really realize this especially when you're first you know new to praying salah or whatever you know you're told yeah you know what you have to pray it is a responsibility it's a third um you know this is impediment for you like it's it's so important i don't even know if i used impediment in the right way but the point is what i'm trying to say is it is important and it's crucial um Nobody ever sits down and thinks about the blessings because we see it as a responsibility. We see it as a deadline we have to complete. It is a obligation. It is needed of us. So we don't really think about the reward, the blessings, anything like that. Like nobody thinks about this. And honestly, if you were to just sit down and really, really realize the beauty of the blessings in this, it's actually insane. And I think I'm going to pull up one hadith in specifics just to remind us of this. So just in relation to like the beauty and the virtues of, for example, one concept of salah, and that is surah fatiha. Now, surah fatiha is in, like, it's just crucial to the whole concept of salah. Your salah is not even valid if you do not recite surah fatiha. And we recite it in every single unit, right? So in terms of the whole kind of like meaning of surah fatiha and everything like that by the way it's literally known as the umul quran like the mother of the quran like this surah is just so important like there's just so much tafsir you could do on this so anyways abu huraira sorry reported that the prophet said allah almighty said i have divided prayer between myself and my servant into two halves and my servant shall have what he has asked for when the servant says all praise is due to allah the lord of the world Allah says, my servant has praised me. When he says, the gracious, the merciful, Allah says, my servant has exalted me. When he says, the master of the day of judgment, Allah says, my servant has glorified me and my servant has submitted to me. When he says, you alone we worship, you alone we ask for help, Allah says, this is between me and my servant and my servant will have what he has asked 
helpful. When he says, guide us to the straight path, the path of those whom you have favoured, not those who went astray, Allah says, this is for my servant and my servant will have what he asked for. And honestly, there is so much to take away from this, subhanAllah. Just remember that this is one of the most powerful surahs, right? So every single thing that you are saying in this surah, Allah is essentially listening to this and he is like, well, he said this, so he's exalting me. Like when he, when we're referring to he, we're talking about the believer. So he's exalting me when he's um saying, you know, that he's basically glorified me and all of this and the end is just so beautiful this is for my servant and my servant will have what he has asked for so just think of this for a second and think that Allah is basically saying to us by the way you have to pray five times a day like no exceptions no rules like no enough like you have to pray five times a day but then also whilst we're praying and we think that this is an obligation which it is of course and it's furred we forget the fact that Allah literally says to us this is for my servant and my servant will have what he has asked for. Just imagine standing in front of Allah, right? Your creator and being told to worship your creator and being told to bow down to your creator. In that moment between you and your creator, you are essentially worshipping Allah. Like it's so powerful considering that as Muslims, we only worship Allah. We are monotheists. So we do not worship idols. We don't worship anyone else. And the process of worshipping is genuinely so big. So at that moment, you are no one compared to who you're worshipping. You know, your creator is everything. You are just a mere human. You're made of mud. Like, you're nothing. But you're telling me that the creator that you're praying to, essentially, is the one who's like, oh my God, you said all of this. And this is for my servant and my servant. You're going to have what you've asked for. And that happens five times a day. Like, five times a day. Not just five times a day, but then also, like, voluntary nuffles you know, that he may pray out of those five times, all of that, you know, it's just insane, you know, it's insane because this is, by the way, a Qudsi hadith as well, just to remind you that a Qudsi hadith is where, <coughs> sorry, it's when the Prophet wasallam is recite or basically telling us something that Allah has directly told us. He's Allah has directly said to him and he's repeating it. So it will always start with like the Prophet wasallam said that Allah Almighty said. So that just shows us how powerful this is. It comes straight directly from Allah. So it is insane when you think about this because we're told, yeah, by the way, this is a fur, like you have to do it. And we find it a chore. We find it hard and all of that type of stuff but when we are stood in that salah Allah is literally saying you're gonna have what you've asked me for and then we pray and then we make our dua and then you know we ask for the blessing salutations to be sent upon the prophet Muhammad وسلم, and then we also ask for forgiveness of our sins and then we make dua and Allah's like you're gonna have what you asked for you know considering whether it's good for you or not but you are gonna have what you've asked for so another one just to remind us as well is that I found this one absolutely amazing so the message of Allah وسلم, said that when the reciter who's obviously recite so like say if you're reading surah fatiha and then at the end you end it with ameen so when you say ameen um and um you know so if let's say if the imam said ameen and then you say ameen for if a person's ameen coincides with the ameen of the angels his previous sins will be forgiven so i'll read that properly again for you when the reciter says ameen then say ameen for if a person's ameen coincides with the ameen of the angels his previous sins will be forgiven. So that's another thing to remember as well. We think that, oh my God, like we're praying salah and then at the end I'm going to make dua, I'm going to ask Allah to forgive me for my sins. Just imagine if your ameen was at the same time as the ameen of the angels and the angels said ameen when they heard you or vice versa. Like in that moment, your sins were already forgiven. Like they were just gone. And that's just beautiful. Like it's so crazy. So I just want to ask genuinely to anyone out there who is listening to this, 
when was that ever told to us as children? I don't think many of us knew this as children. And imagine trying to tell a child who's already innocent, who's already pure, that by the way, you know when you read your salah, Allah is literally forgiving you and Allah is literally listening to every single thing you say. And Allah is saying this when you're saying that. Like Allah literally said, you're going to get what you've asked for. Imagine trying to tell a child that. They're just going to be like in awe. They're going to be in shock. But going back to the whole concept of this, um, something that you know, we need to remember is the kind of like fiqh surrounding salah as well in terms of like, well, when do you teach them how to pray and stuff like that? So when the children turn five, you need to instruct them to pray. And at seven, you can basically take that into action. And what that means is that this was narrated by the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So when we talk about like, oh, taking action or anything like that, a lot of people think, oh my God, yeah, I'm going to like do this to the child. I'm going to absolutely batter the child or something like that. And that's genuinely not what we're talking about. Because first of all, you do not use violence. Like nowhere in Islam it says absolutely batter a child like none at all and this is something as well that the um mufti would always tell us um not the mufti sorry this was the sheikh who would tell us later on um the relationship that the prophet muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam had with his servant anas ibn malik and basically anas ibn malik ba- um served the prophet as a servant for about 10 years i think and even though he was his servant he said as well that the prophet never raised a hand he never lifted a finger upon him bearing in mind that that wasn't even his own child that was literally a servant his job and his role was to serve the prophet muhammad and if anything let's say he was a child so for example there was a a scene there was an incident where you know um the prophet said you need to go somewhere and go straight there come straight back don't look left don't look right just get the job done and then him being a kid because obviously that's what he was he was a child um he basically was going and then he saw some kids playing football so or i don't know he they were playing something they were doing something uh, probably not football but that's what i heard in the class but it was something and he just stopped and he just kind of like started playing with them and then the prophet muhammad used to call him oh the one who has ears meaning that like you can hear me and he said oh the one who has ears because he saw him he goes did i not tell you to go straight there and come back with a smile on his face and then he's like oh yeah you did and then he just walked back and he did his thing and he come back and the reason why the story was so beautiful by the way some people might think oh my god he was 10 years old like you know because he was 10 and then i think he served the prophet till he was about 20 and people might be like oh um how could you do that you know one thing to remember is Anas ibn Malik didn't really like he was not a slave like do you know what I'm saying he was not a slave he was not whilst he was a servant in the house he actually lived so comfortably with the prophet Muhammad like he never once treated him as if he was different and um the boy's mom actually had said to the prophet that you know in a way for me to like kind of like show you that we care so much about you i want to basically have anas basically you know serving you and fulfilling your roles and stuff like that so he lived very comfortably with the prophet and the prophet actually kept him like one of his own children and you know he had so much love for the prophet and the prophet had so much love for him but it's just a concept of how kids will be kids like you know even in that instance you didn't hear that the prophet was hitting him you know beat him nothing like that at all and you know some um scholars go as far to say that when this um hadith was revealed or when this was basically told to us um the concept of the words now one thing to remember is that the arabic language is so big that's literally the only word i can think of it's so big like you know this it requires a whole other conversation of another day but you know so many words can have multiple meanings so the way that the scholars basically sat down and actually were analyzing this interpreting it was some would say that it's when you talk about this 
the word that was used, the connotation of it is just like a light tap. And that would have been probably with a miswak. Now, guys, miswak is literally like a twig, if anything. And you just tap them. Like, that just goes to show you. It's like a reminder more than anything else. And it's basically like a, hey, you need to go pray type of thing. It's not a, let's batter the kid and turn him black and blue. Like, nowhere in Islam have you been instructed to do stuff like that. Like, that's not the way we go about things. So... That is something that we should understand. But you know, the thing that the Mufti was saying that I think is very important for us to tackle is this new type of um, method that people have basically come up with. And it doesn't just relate to Salah. It relates to a lot of the upbringing of the child. And I'm going to say this, the upbringing of the child related to aspects of Islam and deen and moral responsibilities and obligations. And it's this, 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 this phrase of, oh, I don't want to force them. Like if they want to do it I'll be happy and I'll be so so you know um proud of them but like I don't ever want to force them because if I force them they're just going to hate it now this really needs to be sat like it needs to be basically deconstructed you need to sit down and deconstruct this because when we talk about force what are you trying to say what have you tried to do to make them understand that this is what's expected and required of them so have you sat down and said to them Let's say the most perfect example I could think of, because a lot of people use this example, is hijab. And this is a constant topic, conversation every day. Now, if you sit down to your child and say, you are not allowed to show a single strand of your hair. And if you do, you will burn for it in every single thing you do. You're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to do it like that. And I think that's possibly the worst type of way to go about it. You're not allowed to turn around to them and say, from now on, you're wearing this hijab. I've bought you two. Use these. I don't want to see you doing anything else. Like, I don't want to see your hair again. You, If I see you going outside this house with your hair out, you are going to get absolutely punished for it. Because Allah wants you to wear hijab. You're supposed to. You're a Muslim. Like, it does not work that way. So that is what I would genuinely consider extreme force, unnecessary way of kind of introducing the topic to them. Now, bearing in mind, um, I know specifically um, a young girl who lives near us and she's just amazing, like beautiful, amazing, mashallah. And I've seen her kind of like, you know, grow up and stuff. And I remember when she was starting secondary school and she started to wear the hijab and I was like, oh, you know, I was like, this is a conversation we need to have. And I was like, oh, wow, like you're wearing hijab, like that's amazing I was so happy genuinely over the moon and she was like yeah I do I am because you know what like I realized I'm getting older I'm becoming a woman and like everyone's been telling me like you are becoming a woman and I need to understand the importance of hijab and it's very very important to me and my religion and I think that now getting into high school I might be hitting that time when I start to transition I start to become a woman and I need to start wearing hijab and I think it's very good for me so it's the summer holidays right now I'm getting used to it I'm wearing it here and there and I actually really love wearing it and I was just like oh my god mashallah like genuinely the way that her family must have taken that conversation the way they tried to show her and understand it and the biggest most beautiful thing was that they all wear hijab and they represent hijab themselves in a beautiful manner as well so not only is it helpful when you are surrounded by that influence but also when you actually sit down with the child and you really try to make them understand in terms that the child will understand you are not talking to an adult you are talking to a child stop using this constant you know way of berating them of disciplining them it's just discipline 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 and I don't agree with that at all I do agree with the fact that you should sit down and really speak to them like you're you know you're their friend because if anything you can turn them away from Allah and yourself 
So the sad thing about this, however, is that because parents perhaps do not know how to tackle this conversation and they're scared of kids like turning completely away, they just give them absolute free reign to do whatever they want. And they give them this concept of like, you can wear it when you're ready. You know, it's a journey and all of that type of stuff. Now, we've had very, you know, big conversations regarding this and all of that type of stuff. But this whole concept of I don't want to force them to wear it when they're ready can go in a very different route. And you might see as well, like they just don't wear it. They don't care. Like there's no one to tell them, nothing to warn them, anything like that. And you have to remember that that is your obligation. And sadly to say, but it is something you will be questioned about as well one day. Now, I am not sitting here and saying force your children. I would never say that, but I would genuinely definitely recommend have open conversations with them. Like genuinely talk to them, sit down with them and motivate them, encourage them, surround them with good influences. Make sure that what they are watching, what they are learning, what they are basically taking in, they are being able to understand their deen in a better way. It should always be there to benefit them. Now, one thing that the Sheikh said was that, um, he said that, you know, this thing of, oh, I don't want to force them. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, push them towards it. They don't have to, if they don't want to, I want them to come towards it themselves. Did you ever say that regarding their education? No, I don't think you did. Did you ever say that regarding their use of iPads or their use of social media at a very young age? Because that is a big, big concern nowadays in our generation. No, you didn't. Did you say to them, it's okay, you can take the day off today. If you don't want to go, I'm not going to force you. I just want you to feel like you want to go. No, the first thing you probably said was get up right now. I don't care if you're faking to be ill, you're getting changed in your uniform. I want to see you downstairs in 10 minutes in your uniform. You're going to school. Wake up at the right time go to bed on the right time you've got school tomorrow and I've never once seen a child a a parent sorry being like oh no I don't want to force them into school you know from a young age or like they don't have to go to school if they don't want to no you are the first people to push your children into school and that's a good thing by the way that's a good thing they need school and it is incredibly important their education but I'm just saying that why do you not take that same approach when it comes to their religion and you know, we say a lot, we do a lot, but you know, we don't know how our own children will turn out one day, inshallah. I pray that we have, you know, righteous children who are upon the deen and they are a absolute, you know, asset to the Muslim community. And I pray that for all of us. I mean, but one thing to remember is that, you know, you, you have to have this, you have to, you have to pick a side. Like you have to have the same rules for everything. You know what I mean? Like focus on their education, focus on their welfare and their upbringing, focus on their um, their dunya, focus on their dunya, make sure you are, you know, uh, cultivating their dunya, make sure you are sowing the seeds to have a great, you know, a future, do all of that, but please do not forget their akhirah as well, and people think that they're young, they don't need to know the stuff right now, they're children, they don't need to pray salah right now, it's technically not, you know, mandatory, below, you know, before let's say like at three years old it's not mandatory yeah it isn't it isn't at all but you know when you start praying salah yourself they will see that they realize you know what i need to do this and i'm saying this because it is so important we may have learned and i'm saying this especially because people who have turned to the dean at a later age like um for example like people like me you know in my in my late teens like we realize and we value it way more because we realize just how much of a big difference made to our lives so inshallah like one day when children come around you would want them to be starting from day one because you can see the beauty but you know how to go about it in a different way you know how to go about it in the right way or rather in a way that they will understand you need to be their friend in every aspect of life including the dean and it is so important important but the reason why obviously like I brought this up was because I just thought it was so beautiful we don't talk about this type of stuff so what I thought I would do was ask you guys about what 
what and how and the methods and when, why, who, what, you know, whatever it may be regarding Salah and regarding praying and especially praying at a young age. And the responses I got were so beautiful. So we're going to go through them because these came directly from you guys. By the way, if you don't know, um, you definitely need to follow me on Instagram and TikTok. And I will admit I'm not active on there right now. <laughs> but sometimes I do put stuff up on my story and might have like opportunities for you guys to give me your responses and opinions. There's also a Google document form in the bio. So click on that. You can always send in your questions, um, send in your responses, your confessions, your dilemmas. So yeah, please please feel free to do that and I'm just going to get on to them right now we'll go through them together inshallah okay so starting from the beginning um, someone said by asking me to pray with them so it's easier for me to remember the times and etc so that's a really beautiful way as well to remember the fact that we have these five prayers you know you pray them at certain times and stuff like that it gets the kids to understand the routine of life and how you need to incorporate your salah at all times and also the key thing is that they used to pray with them. So someone else said by explaining why it's important for us Muslims to have a direct link between us and Allah. And again, it comes down to the explanations. And there's so many different ways you take that. We've just spoke about how some people take it in the bad way. Some people take it in the good way. And you really need to sit down and explain to them that, hey, Allah is the only person and the only authority you need in your life Allah is the only one you need and it's a great way to explain that and they understand that and you know they might want to even like be like no you know what Allah is so important I need to make sure that I maintain this direct link with them someone said that they just used to copy people praying then later they would remind me when I had uh, reached the age so um with that I think what's kind of cropping up again and again is the concept of seeing the influence and I do genuinely think that this is going to come up in a lot of these responses seeing the influence surrounding them when you see people praying around you now with children it comes back to that whole concept of um I think it was uh Bandura's social learning theory please if there's any a-level psychologists out there correct me if I'm wrong um but it was the concept of how basically in very simple um, terms monkey see monkey do if children see it in front of them they see it happening they will then exhibit the same behavior um i'm really gonna get this wrong and i probably will do and someone is gonna correct me but it was this social learning theory of how there were these kids and they did this experiment regarding this big bobo toy like it was this inflatable type of toy and what they did was they put it in a room and they'd have a kid in the room and then they did it obviously controlled and all that in different types of settings and examples but essentially they had either other kids i think or other Human, I think it was other humans and what the other hum, like humans sorry adults they would come in and the child would be sat there and they'd watch and then they'd see that this adult is just like hitting the toy like it's a big inflatable kind of toy and they're just whacking it you know they're just shoving it maybe using a you know another toy to hit that big um, inflatable toy and then they'd walk off and then the kid would see that maybe and then they'd you know leave the kid alone with the toy and lo and behold like the child would actually do the same thing and this was a big response in the concept of how um, they imitate um, another way that they kind of like tested the series as well like with children with babies Babies, and they saw that um, if mom or dad kind of like coo at them or they move their you know lips in a certain way the baby will end up doing similar things uh, you know I can't really think of the whole psychological terms right now because I did it a long time ago um, but it was so beautiful and it really highlighted the significance of if a child sees you do something they will copy you I in fact just saw a video today where they did this um, you know the TikTok trend where you give two pieces of paper to someone um, you don't show them what it is and then they basically you know um 
agree on the day for the rest of the essential day I guess um they basically choose the activities that you're going to do for the rest of the day without knowing so it might say Starbucks or Tim Hortons and then they choose one without knowing which one is which and that basically sets up the day so someone did it with their baby and she was a toddler to be fair like she was not old at all and she chose you know this or the other and one of the choices she had was play with mummy's makeup or play with toys and she uh, chose play mummy's makeup obviously she didn't know which one was which so um you know the mum let her play with her makeup and she literally was doing her makeup guys I cannot express to you she literally knew where to put her lipstick she knew where to put her blush and design and all that type of stuff and obviously um then after she looks in the mirror and she was posing the exact way an adult will pose like with her lips like pouting or with her two fingers up like literally it's a peace sign turning her head like this and batting her eyelashes like it was so cute but it's also so crazy at the fact that she's seen her mum do that so she does it now as well and that could be taken in a positive or a negative force so if you know that use that to your advantage and get them to basically imitate good actions as well so someone said i learned through madrasa and islamic classes for my parents um, and what they paid for that's a really good way as well so essentially you know another way you will be asked on you know in terms of one day by allah is how did you spend in the way of allah and that is essentially a way you've spent because you know that your children's education means a lot to you in the sense of islamic education as well and you've set time out you set a bit of money aside or you know whatever it may be because let's be real we can afford to pay towards such other things in life but when it comes to our children's education and our children's islamic needs we think mm, that's a bit expensive oh my god they should be given that for free because technically speaking like how are you charging us like okay but sorry they also have you know a family to feed they also have you know an income to be providing if they're doing it by the ultimate you know perfect halal way you should if anything support them on that and then you should also know it's just going to benefit you and your children as well um and someone said as well that um uh, sorry not someone the mufti said this as well by the way he said that it's not the responsibility um of the mosque teacher it's the responsibility of the parents to check and they themselves need to pray so this is a responsibility you could also co-share i guess to a certain extent with the mosque teacher they would teach them hey this is how you pray but then you as parents need to be always reinforcing that and basically reiterating that checking are they praying are they doing it properly let me pray with them that again you're reinforcing at home um someone said i think the best way is by showing us the example like praying in jamaah together yeah and someone said that by forcing us at an early stage but i do have to admit that this method may not work sometimes with other people um someone said that they brought me uh sorry they bought me a tiny prayer mat when i was small and we prayed as a family i find that so adorable my cousin actually had one of these um so when we were small we used to go to the house she had this little one and it was oh it was so freaking cute guys it was literally a like a dark blue prayer mat and it was so tiny and guys i'm not even joking like she would fit on that prayer mat like it was so adorable so when and wallahi i mean this like when her sister would pray or when her mom would come out to pray like they'd put the masala down like or the prayer mat in the room she would go and get her little prayer mat and put it down on the side and we used to sit there like oh my god that's so cool and then she would just like mock the actions like she didn't know how to improv but she tried and then she'd get bored and then she'd run off but the point was she knew oh god they're praying i need to go get my prayer mat so yeah that's a really good idea actually um around five to seven years old my dad took me out with him a lot to the masjid so i got very keen on salah early on i think this is so important especially for the boys um because obviously a lot of the salah there's more reward in praying at the mosque than praying at home especially for the men and you know we always talk about this and we talk uh, we speak about it so much about the concept of if your dad does not take you to mosque at a young age 
you cannot expect the boys to suddenly grow up one day and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to the mosque. Like, they may by their own intentions, but if then the family suddenly starts to get annoyed, like, oh my God, you're not going to the mosque, this is unfair. Well, to be fair, you guys never really made it a habit from a young age either. Someone said that they used to remind me of Jannah quite a bit. That's beautiful, because we literally started the whole episode about related back to Yasma Jahad's metaphor of a um, police officer and saying you're going to go to hell, you're going to go to hell. But in reality, with this example, they were reminding them of the beauties of Jannah. They spoke about the importance of it and they always prayed so Alhamdulillah inspired me even more. They would always pray in front of me as a child and I started imitating their actions. Someone said they were watching lectures. so they're Sorry, not watching lectures. Their parents gave them lectures. Um, so someone said um, when he is going to offer salah in the masjid, he would again mention to me to offer prayers. I think she was talking or he was talking about their dad. When the muazzin offered um, azan, my father would ask me to get up to do wudu and offer prayer. Someone said I used to observe, go with dad and eventually due to them and one of my cousins, I started praying. Someone said I just had it in me from a young age. I realised that this dunya is not worth it. Um, a girl said that they left it up to me, no force, because otherwise it would not come out of pure intention. Okay, so this is what we kind of touched on a little bit. This works. I do think though that this is something that works for the minority of the situation. So she is an amazing exemplar kind of like figure of this someone said they just used to literally tell me to go make wudu and praise Allah um dad taught me mom would always call me to pray with her um sorry <laughs> I literally need to sniff because like my nose is like all red and funny um alhamdulillah they didn't force me to pray but by just watching them every day pray wherever they are that's beautiful I, again it comes back to this concept of children will repeat what they see someone said it's a habit um it was always a routine um time when time happened they told us to get up and go pray um someone said can't lie never did force it just jama to be honest so someone was actually very honest about this and they said they never forced it and so therefore i literally just prayed jama really um so someone said that they didn't but to be fair this person's a revert anyway so they basically became muslim later on so um I'm going to kind of like, oh yes, yeah, so, so there you go. We were just talking about this legit through modeling. I was never forced. I just saw my mum pray. Um, I'm going to kind of move on to the other ones. Um, someone said that if you want to be successful and happy, pray and talk to Allah, you will find peace. So that is what her parents used to say to her. Someone else said, always testing me on all the duas and surahs to make sure I'm praying correctly. And someone said that they were strict about it quick reminders at the prescribed times but letting me learn as i grow and compared to not forcing me into it showing us that the straight path is to those who pray and um not being the differences between praying and not some may beg to differ but it worked 100 percent. and i like this one i used to pray and they gave me the reward so this is actually a really cute story where um they said that you know they, they used to get a reward for it so it's like it's kind of like oh, i forgot the word i think it's positive reinforcement something like that um but it's essentially where you know you do something good you get rewarded for it they then associate that action with the reward and therefore that makes them want to do it more and more often because they know they're going to get a reward out of it could be a chocolate could be a little sweet could be like a good fun activity whatever it may be and that does work because that's literally psychology so use psychology as well because that literally helps but i really hope that that was informative guys and honestly i feel like i definitely did this episode for a lot of us because we're at that stage where 
you know, we may be considering having a future of our own one day or there are people who've already got children, there's people who are planning to have children in the next 10 years or whatever it may be. But also, I think I did this definitely for myself as well as a good reminder because if anything, I'm only ever going to talk on things that I need help on as well. So this was really, I think it was really good and I'm happy I did it now because I feel like I could do it justice. That's my biggest thing when it comes to doing podcast episodes. If I have a very good topic in mind, I want to do it when I can give it justice. So anyways, I'm going to be moving on to the Reddit threads, guys, and let's get straight into it. Another thing, by the way, off topic, is when it comes to Reddit threads, I realise I really need to start incorporate, incorporating good Reddit threads in it as well, because it just helps when you've got a good one, but then you end off on happy note as well. So um, I found another good one, but I've not read it. And by the way, I've not read the other one either. So yeah, let's get on to the bad one first. So found out my fiancé cheated on me a year ago through an Instagram DM. Title says it all, I guess. We've been together for three and a half years. We got engaged in August 2022. We have literally had the perfect relationship, or I thought we did. We never argue, we communicate really well, and I have never felt more love until today. My job is really strict about using our phones on the clock, so we can only use them on our 20-minute break, and then they're supposed to be turned off, and you can't use it until you're in your car. So I go on break and have multiple comments on Instagram posts from some random account that says check your DMs. So I go to my DM requests and there it is. Anonymous account. Some girl tells me about how she and my fiance... Oh my God, it's a girl. She and my fiance hooked up at a festival summer of 2022. (gasps) Guys, they got engaged in August 22, just to remind you. She gave details. Oh, okay, sorry. I thought this was from the boy's perspective. This is a girl. This is a girl and she is talking about her male fiancé. Okay, I thought it was the other way around. So, some girl tells me about how she and my fiancé hooked up at festival summer of 22. She gave details and mentioned his car, the CD that was in the side of the door and what they did. She said she didn't realise until after when she looked him up on Instagram that he was in a relationship. She said she was sorry it took so long for her to tell me. I had just started eating my lunch when I saw it all and felt immediately sick. I screenshotted it and sent it to him, asking that he be fully honest and that I love him. He was asleep when I texted, so I said I wouldn't be able to see his messages and that I would call him after work. I cut my break early because I knew if I sat there any time longer staring at the message that I would break down. I threw my food in my lunchbox and went back to work. I thought about it for the next seven hours of my shift. Oh, that's so sad. I finally got done and knew I didn't want to see what he had to say. So I asked if there was any other tasks I could help with. I stayed at work another hour and was finally told to just go home. I got to the car and looked. He admitted to everything that he made a huge mistake and that it had weighed on his heart ever since it happened. I've got so much to say. He said he respected whatever I wanted to do and that he would answer any questions I had. Okay. I cried for 30 minutes before I could even leave the parking lot. I took his car to work today. (gasps) Oh, and that CD the girl mentioned was sitting there in the door. We've been talking ever since I got home and I can't tell any of my friends about this. I just needed to get it off my chest. I'm sorry, but... Mm. Okay, so... First thing I want to say is people make mistakes. Alright, I think that we berate a lot of people for the mistakes that they make and for the actions that they do. And I do believe in giving people second chances and all of that type of stuff. And I do think that people are capable of making mistakes and stuff like that. But, and there's always a but, cheating. Oh, it's 
the tricky one? Is the sticky one? Um, no. I don't know what to say when it comes to this. And let me tell you why. And let me tell you why. I was in university and I read this amazing book that I would recommend to everyone when it comes to this conversation. And it is by Esther Perel and it is called The State of Affairs. I think that's what it's called. Now, basically, Esther Perel is a renowned psychologist or slash psychiatrist, I can't remember. And she spoke about this in her book. Guys, when I tell you this book, like it changed my perception, but then at the same time, it literally made me think, I don't even know what the hell to even think about this. And this book talked about cheating from every every single angle you could ever imagine the cheetah the cheatee the cheated um the male um perception the female perception the issues surrounding cheating um the attachment styles everything guys when i tell you grab your hands on this book because wallahi like it is insane she tackles everything but then at the same time like it is so hard because when you come out of that book you really do sit down and think are you in the wrong for cheating or are you in the right for cheating? Like genuinely, it is insane. It messes with your head, but at the same time, you learn so much from it. So coming back to this, I really don't know what to say because cheating is awful and it is wrong and 100% it is wrong. Now, I do believe that there are levels of cheating, of course. Cheating is wrong 100% and honestly, it's kind of unforgivable as well. However, in this situation, I think personally, this whole thing that he was saying of it was weighing on his heart, he feels so bad, he made a huge mistake. No, you made a huge mistake and you are only sorry because you got caught. And the reason for that is because if it was weighing down on your heart so much, you would have complained to her about it yourself. You would have sat down with her and said, hey, I did this. I regret this. This is why I did it. This is where I went wrong, blah, blah, blah. There is no point in you telling her all of this now when she has found out from someone else, especially the girl that you cheated on with. Like, you are not very remorseful of your actions. You are only remorseful of the fact that you got caught. And it's two very different things because let's be real, from the way he's been acting, he literally got engaged to her in the summer, guys. In the, make it make sense. In the summer, the script ain't adding up because you're telling me you got engaged in August 22. You've been in a relationship for three and a half years, but then you also cheated her, cheated on her in the summer. Like, I just, no, no, it's not okay at all. Like, I'm shook. So I find that crazy. And I genuinely think that he, oh, he just messed up. Like, that is not okay. But also remember, there's boundaries. So I was listening to, um, I was listening to something. And basically, it's called the Receipts Podcast. It's very interesting. I don't, I wouldn't recommend it for younger audiences only because it is uh, three women who sit down and chat about these things and people basically sent in their dilemmas to them. And this girl sent in a dilemma of, um, she's been in a relationship, she's never been in a relationship before. She was in a relationship with some guy and um, he crossed her boundaries twice. The first time it was because he liked uh, other girls' pictures on Instagram. The second time it was because she went on his phone and she was in the notes app and then she saw he had written a song about his ex and honestly the way that those girls handle that dilemma honestly really kind of like made me think wow okay this is a different perspective and honestly after listening to it I was like okay cool because what they said was that 
the way she was talking about this type of stuff genuinely for the fact of like how she wants to end this relationship now because of all of this that's cool if you want to do that but it sounded very immature in the sense that she really expected a lot from him considering the fact that this song that he had written about his ex was like I think either before their relationship began or in the first month of their relationship and she was expecting this man to be perfect because she had never been in a relationship herself so the fact that he was adding up to that it really really messed with her head they said to her like oh well if you are gonna leave him you should leave him if it's playing too much on your head but just remember you're being very immature about this you're not thinking about it from a human lens you're thinking about it from solely your side which is fine because you are hurt but the first time you told him about hey i don't like the fact that you liked the girl's pictures you admitted he's never done it before and never done it after that so he understood where he went wrong and he rectified it and they moved on and then you are now picking and clutching at straws just because you someone feel insecure in the fact that oh my god like I don't know what to do like he could possibly cheat me you have trust issues and we understand that but let's be real like considering what are the type of stuff that some people may do this really isn't that big that's what they said by the way and it was a really different take on it and honestly it was quite eye-opening to be honest with you because they they really talked about it from a different perspective they said the fact that she's never been in a relationship and she's with someone who has been in different relationships before is really playing on her head because she's not used to that so she's never experienced anything that he may have been experiencing but um the whole concept comes back to the concept of the human flaws and the human eye and this is another example of it because you will have mixed reviews and opinions about this you have to remember they've been together for three and a half years they are engaged they've planned a whole future together now if anything once a cheater always a cheater and i do think this and i do believe in this but having said that the way he's messed up and i think why he's messed up is the fact that he never told her about it he hid it and he was planning on basically hiding it for as long as possible forever if essentially he genuinely thought it would never come back to her it only came back to her because the girl you know basically approached her if it wasn't anything regarding that they would have never found out and so he is upset and he's sad and he's remorseful because he got caught he's not remorseful of the fact that it happened and that's two very different things so let's read some of the comments because i actually want to know what other people said someone said so he lied to you for a half a year and looking at your face each and every day and still chose not to tell you and gave you no agency in your decision making he chose his wants when he cheated and when he lied instead of your heart or feelings or health Um, and now he wants forgiveness you know who he is right you know what he did you know for half a year he chose every single day to lie to you um oh god someone said do not marry him and someone replied saying she's totally still marrying him um i don't know like oh someone said trust gone shattered there's no more trust in this relationship maybe it could be rebuilt if he had admitted to it back then but he cheated on you and had no intention of you ever knowing he was going to marry you carrying that secret yes it's up to you what you do now but i choose myself your relationship will never be what it was you're only 3.5 years in i'm sorry no i disagree with that i don't believe in that you're only 3.5 years in that's a long time a marriage is a lifelong commitment that's true as well i would choose to find someone who would love me enough that they'd never hurt me like that oh god so someone said somewhere on reddit there's a story of a woman who left her husband five years after him cheating she said that him cheating affected her so much that she could not make a decision about leaving him or not with a clear mind she needed five years to heal from his cheating when she asked him for a divorce he could not understand why it took her five years until he read her reddit story and he understood the damage he had done to her my conclusion after many more stories about cheating and some personal experiences is that cheating is a form of violence and it leaves damage in its wake only you can decide what you want to do about healing 
cleaning and forgiving him. But whatever you decide, do it for you and your mental, emotional, psychological and or physical health. That I think is a beautiful way be a beautiful way of advising someone do what you want to do but only do it for yourself and I think the reason why is because quite often and I think I think oh I can't speak today I see this a lot is when something goes wrong you take advice from other people but then you are taking advice from too many people and more often than not it's because you cannot trust your own judgment and the thing with that is you really do need to learn how to just I guarantee you whatever you feel whatever you are thinking if you have some sort of idea in your head hey I kind of want to take this decision you are probably right you don't really need to go about asking other people because it will utterly confuse you if you feel some type of way and you think right this is what I want to do you kind of already know for us Muslims it's different we could pray as Sahara we could rely on Allah we can trust our gut instinct and that type of stuff but I do think that an advice would be don't go to so many people asking them for advice on your personal situations because they may have had ultimately different experiences that are now influencing what they're going to say to you as well and a lot of people don't really need to know because not everyone has their best intentions towards you um but yeah that is a really sad one to be honest with you and I actually really want to know what she does but I don't think she's going to be posting anytime soon because this was literally uploaded 19 hours ago so let's end this on a good one guys what my 23 year old sorry what my 21 year old girlfriend did yesterday makes me who i'm 23 want to marry her instantly that's the title so created this account just to share this with you so yesterday when i came home from work i was extremely exhausted from work and i was really tired however there was one thing i still daily wanted to do and he meant to say really I wanted to record a video for my YouTube channel. I was very ambitious of that as it was something I did on a daily basis. I know that nobody really watches, but I like to pretend someone does. <gasps> oh my God, how adorable. Oh, this is so cute. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't even like, this is just so adorable. Okay, for the sake of this story, it seems like a small, unimportant detail, but it's important to understand the rest of the story. So when I got on my PC, I started recording a Let's Play. My recording was with Facecam, which is also an important detail for later. Like I said earlier, I was really tired, and the more I played, the more tired I got. Before I knew it, I fell asleep during the recording, which, by the way, continued afterwards. When I woke up the next morning in my bed, I realised I hadn't plugged in my phone to charge and therefore my battery was empty and my alarm never went off. And I was already late so I decided to take my girlfriend's phone to call my boss to tell him that I'm going to be late. But when I unlocked her phone, I saw that Google was open and I saw what she had recently searched for. She wanted to know how to save the game I was playing. <gasps> I was confused at first because I thought to myself why she would look for that but then it hit me. I probably should have called my boss, but I completely forgot to do that. I went to my PC and turned it on. My girlfriend was still asleep at that time. I was looking for the recording last night and indeed it was there. And then I started rewatching it. A few minutes after I slept in, my girlfriend came in to look for me and when she saw me sleeping in my chair, she giggled a bit. Then she helped me out of my chair. Oh my God, this is so adorable. Guys, this was literally recorded. He didn't know because he fell asleep because it was all recorded on the face cam. And then she helped me out on my chair whilst I was still half asleep. I can't even remember. I am like twice her size. But somehow she managed to get me out of my chair and she laid me into the bed where she took me in and gave me a kiss on the forehead. All of this was recorded by my face cam. After that, she returned to the PC and the game was still on. So she clicked around the menu and remembered. Uh, sorry, and remembering what she googled, I knew exactly what she was trying to do. 
She tried to save my game properly. The thing is my girlfriend isn't a gamer at all, so she had no idea how to save the game. After a while, she grabbed her phone and began to type something. I guess this was where she googled how to save the game. She still looked a bit confused, but she did it. Mm, oh my god, I just can't right now. I also noticed that she used every free save slot in the game. Sorry, every free save slot the game provided to make multiple copies of my save. And when she was sure that she had done everything right, she closed the game and that is when the recording stopped. I was so touched by this and I had to talk to her about this. When she woke up, I asked her about it and she said she didn't want me to lose all my game progress because of her and that she made several copies just to be sure and that she hopes that she did everything right. She looked so genuinely worried when she told me this. Like she was really concerned that she made a mistake and my game progress is gone. I realised right then and there that I will marry this woman. I realised that she's going to be my future wife. For her, this was probably just a small gesture. But the fact that she cares so much about me and the things that mean something to me. I don't even know if I deserve her. I love her so much and I'm so close to buying her a wedding ring. Not gonna lie. Oh, guys. I literally have the biggest smile on my face right now. How cute is that? Oh, someone said, I'm going to sleep. Um, I'm going right to sleep after reading this wholesome thing. As you said, it's the little things that matter. Wishing you a lot of happiness in your relationship. Um, oh, that's just so adorable. Don't let that girl go because she's one in a million. And he replies saying, don't plan to. Um, oh, it's so cute. Oh my God, guys, I genuinely need to stop gushing right now because it's absolutely adorable. It genuinely is the little things that matter. Like that wasn't some grand gesture or anything like that. She just did something to care for him and something that mattered so much to him even though it's really nothing that profits you know like he no, he said no one probably watches him but you know I still do it every night like how adorable is that oh, anyways I hope you all enjoyed that story because I definitely did clearly um and I pray that we all find someone who does little things like that for us and that we feel that love for them as well inshallah but yes um that is the end of the episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. I definitely did. I love, recently I've been loving recording episodes for you guys. I just love how they all have a meaning to them and a deeper kind of like factual basis to it. And we have some amazing Reddit threads as well. So I will keep it up inshallah. And until next week, I will see you again. So take care.